In this episode, I'm joined by Chris Rainey from Yellow Productions, and we're talking all about hotels and hotel tips. Now, there's something up front that I need to tell you. Chris and I recorded this episode on March 10th, 2020, which was mere days before the travel industry completely melted down. So I've been sitting on this conversation for a year, waiting for travel and tourism to come back. Even though travel isn't back quite yet, I feel like signs are pointing in a positive direction. Chris is a world traveler and knows more about hotels than just about anyone else I can think of, so I didn't want this episode to sit in a drawer any longer. But that's the reason why we only talk about coronavirus once in the episode, in a bit of a fleeting comment about why you might want to book a refundable rate. At the end of the episode, I'll include an epilogue to cover any important COVID-related topics that didn't make it into the original conversation. So with that said, let's get started. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. This episode is sponsored by Trip Hacks DC Tours. Travel will come back, and when it does, we'll be ready to show you around. You can learn more about our experiences over at triphacksdc.com slash tours. Today, I am joined by Chris Rainey from Yellow Productions. Chris makes travel videos that are fun, informative, and entertaining. Now, Chris, I know that you've spent quite a few nights in Washington, D.C. hotels, so I'm really happy to have you on the podcast. I've uh, I've spent quite a few nights in Washington, D.C. hotel, so I, I look forward to uh, chatting with you and sharing my D.C. hotel knowledge with your listeners. I know that you travel a lot for pleasure. You have the Yellow Productions YouTube channel where you show your travel adventures, but you also travel a lot for work. So when you stay in hotels, it's sort of a mix of business and leisure. Is that right? It sure is. It sure is. Yeah, business, business and pleasure. Cool. So I know that... Uh, the hotel you pick can kind of depend on what type of trip you're making. So I think you'll have lots of good advice for people who are making both business trips and vacation trips. I just want to ask you about some of the criteria that you use for choosing a hotel. You know, what are some of the things that you find important um, in Washington, D.C., and maybe just in general, when you're looking at all the options that are out there and trying to figure out how to navigate the huge list in a lot of cities, including ours? Yeah, great. Great question, Rob. And so I'll uh, I'll talk about sort of my general criteria for picking hotels and then uh, as it specifically applies to the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, so my criteria, sort of an order of importance, uh, number one is location, right? People say this with real estate, location, location, location. Well, it's the same thing for hotels. Uh, and so in Washington, D.C., I look for a hotel that's within walking distance to the metro. Um, you want to be close to the subway so it's easy to get around. Uh, close to restaurants so that when you're hungry, you can actually eat. Uh, and also close to drugstores, supermarkets, convenience stores. So if you want to pick up some bottled water or snacks, uh, you can do that relatively easily or cheaply. And you're not stuck with buying you know, expensive snacks and beverages from the hotel gift shop. Uh, number two, if I have a rental car, then uh, I look at what's the parking situation. Uh, is it self-park? Is it valet parking? I really don't like valet parking because I find it takes forever to get your rental car. Um, whether I'm on business or pleasure, I don't enjoy waiting 20 minutes for my car. So actually, I prefer hotels that have self-parking. So when you come to Washington, D.C., how often do you have a rental car? Is it every time or is it just some of the times? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I would say it's it's some of the time. So if I'm coming to DC and everything that I'm planning to do is just like within the District of Columbia itself, like DC proper, then uh, no car for me because parking inside DC is really kind of a challenge and driving traffic is, is rough. Uh, but... Um, you know, for pleasure, sometimes I like to visit, uh, you know, George Washington's house or Thomas Jefferson's house that are like further afield in Virginia. And so then in that case, I actually like to have a rental car. And sometimes for work, too, I might need to be driving some places. I definitely agree with you about the the valet parking. I have heard some of my customers mention that it takes a really long time, especially because uh, these hotels, sometimes what they do is the valet company will park it kind of far away in a different garage or a different parking lot. And so to go retrieve it can actually take a decent amount of time. But the thing is that a lot of hotels downtown are valet only. So if you're going to do self-park, so what what areas would you uh, say have hotels that offer a self-park? Yeah, so I actually I find the best place for self parking, and that's also the most inexpensive, is actually stay to stay just across the river and out of DC, but in Arlington, Virginia, you can see it from the District of Columbia. Uh, parking is much cheaper there, uh, and you can still take the metro into DC. Uh, I either like to stay along the Orange Line, which is like Roslyn and Boston. I like to stay along the yellow and blue line, which is near Pentagon City to Old Town Alexandria. Uh, and if you're flying into D.C., you might be flying into Reagan National Airport, and that's right in the Arlington area. Yeah, so this is a case where, you know, if you're flying into the airport, I typically recommend if you're flying in uh, to not get the rental car unless you want to go to Monticello or George Washington's home, like you said. But a lot of people are driving in because they live in Pennsylvania or they live, you know, on the coast and they're going to be driving in and they will say, well, Rob, you know, that's great. You know, I'm going to use the metro and walk when I get there, but I need a place to put my car. And so it sounds like you're saying Crystal City might be a great compromise. Uh, yeah, I think so. Crystal City, Crystal City, or the the Roslyn, Boston uh, type area is still pretty close too. Yeah, Roslyn is right right across the Key Bridge from Georgetown. So if Georgetown is on your list, that could be a great location. Yeah, and actually, I I like to stay in Roslyn because then you can actually walk into Georgetown, and Georgetown is this place in D.C. that's like just really hard to get to with public transit because the subway is far away. And, uh, you know, like I feel like taking the subway to the Roslyn station or to the Foggy Bottom station, it's about the same walk. And it's pretty neat to walk along that key bridge across the Potomac into Georgetown. Yeah, on a day that it's not oppressively hot and humid, that's actually a very nice walk. Uh, now, there's this place that uh, some of your listeners may see called the National Harbor. And they might see hotels there that are like really cheap and go like, why don't I stay there? And I will say, um, don't do it because it's in Maryland. It's actually quite far away from anything uh, unless you're uh, at a convention at the Gaylord Hotel. That makes sense. But it's not that that's quite a haul, particularly in the D.C. area traffic. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's what we call outside the Beltway. So in in D.C., nomenclature, uh, inside the Beltway would be, uh, you know, the District of Columbia, Arlington, Alexandria, some of the closer in areas. And then once you get outside the Beltway, you're starting to get pretty far away. And I, I did have a, a customer last year who wasn't staying in National Harbor, but told me he was considering it for his next trip. And he said to me, well, it, it seems fine because it's only a 25-minute Uber ride. And uh-huh. I said, well, <laughs> uh, it could be a 25-minute Uber ride to go from one end of downtown to the other if it's rush hour or it's a busy day. So you got to remember that there's often traffic, and what looks like 25 minutes at 3 a.m. on a Sunday might not be when you want to go. 
For sure. Absolutely. I, I feel like, cause I've, I've done that drive before and I've also done the bicycle ride and I feel like at rush hour traffic, I can get there faster on my bicycle than I can get there in my car. Yeah, that's actually a great bike ride. So what are some of the other things that you look for in a hotel, Chris, when you're picking through the list of places to stay? Yeah, so after I've gone through location and parking, uh, then I look at um, quiet rooms. I, I like hotels that the hotel rooms that you actually sleep in are quiet because I, I need my sleep. I like hotels that have good air conditioning. Uh, in the summer, I like my room cold. And in the winter, I like my room warm. Um, I don't like it hot. Uh, and so I look for things that have uh, air conditioning that's comfortable and also not like super noisy that keeps you up all night. So I tend to be the same way when I travel. I like a quiet room and I like a cold room as well. But I'm never really quite sure how to figure that out when I'm doing the research. So is that just something you know from staying in lots of these places over the years? You know which ones have the quiet rooms and the good AC? Or is there some secret to figuring that out when you're doing your research? Mm. So, uh, I mean, certainly I will have some past experience where when I've stayed at one hotel that I'm like, I like the air conditioning and it's quiet. That one goes back on my list to be like, stay at this hotel again. And, you know, right on the contrary, I stay at other ones. But but ultimately that that only that that really only works once you've been there once or twice. And you really kind of want to pick places that are quiet and have good air conditioning without having to suffer through a bad one. Uh, so I generally, I generally start by looking at um, TripAdvisor reviews uh, and on TripAdvisor, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, maybe they just go and like read the high level reviews, but you can actually like search within reviews. So you can search and you can search for things like quiet, noisy, walls. Uh, and so I go and search for those things and see what people say. Did they say the room was quiet or did they say it was noisy? Yeah, you could probably search for things like paper thin as well, something that I think a lot of people leave in reviews. That's very that's very good. Yeah. And and if I if I see in like two or three reviews to say like, yeah, the, the walls are paper thin and I could hear everything in the room next door, I just I cross that hotel off my list because I know that's that's not going to be for me. When you mention when you talk about AC, people might be listening and thinking, well, what are these guys talking about? It's Washington, D.C. The city could not function without good AC. And I think what you're talking about is that some hotels, the newer ones, are going to have central AC. And the older ones might have one of those, you know, big honking units near the window yeah. that probably is not as reliable. That's right. That's right. The, the big the big honking unit in the window, uh, they, they generally, they don't work very well. They can often be really loud. And then they can often be placed so that when they are on, they blow like a gale force wind, like right on your face in your bed, which also does not make for a good night's sleep. Yeah, so the newer hotels will have the central AC, which is, I think, uh, the gold standard. A absolutely. And uh, to your point about whether and not being able to function in Washington, D.C., what I what I didn't really understand about D.C. before having gone there, because I, I grew up in San Diego, which is a pretty um, dry place. I didn't really understand humidity all that well until I went to D.C. And I'm like, this place is not just hot in the summer. It's super wet and sticky. Uh, and you, you would not be able to sleep at night, really, without good air conditioning. So what are what are some of the amenities that you look for when you're picking out your hotel? Are there any amenities that are particularly important to you? Yeah, so there's there's probably two and I guess when when you say amenities it's you know what's what's beyond the room. I'll say there's just one last thing I look for in a room and that's I, I look that the room is clean because uh, I I don't like a I don't like a gross room and I don't like to like have to clean the room myself. Uh but uh, I also I really like um a good breakfast uh cuz I 
particularly if I'm someplace for business, I don't want to have to be um, searching for breakfast. And even if I'm on vacation, I just, I don't like to, you know, where you're like, where am I going to go for breakfast? Do I have to wait a long time? So I like hotels that have a good breakfast in the hotel. Um, I also like hotels that have uh, lounges. Uh, And this was something that I, I probably didn't understand until I started staying at hotels a lot. But um, a lot of hotels might have a, they call it like an executive lounge or a concierge lounge, which you'd either get access to if you stay there a lot, or you can like buy up to it because you can book a room that has club or lounge access where they'll generally have afternoon snacks and evening desserts. Um, I just find that really convenient to come back to a hotel and be able to get tea and water and, you know, not have to worry about buying that $8 bottle of water and, you know, $10 cookie. Yeah, I also didn't appreciate how much a lounge can make a difference until I stayed in one uh, on my own vacation. And I, I am not a platinum, titanium, gold member of any program. I just happened to book a, a you know, a room type that included the lounge and wound up going there every single day of the trip. It was really fantastic. So um, when, when you at, said you'd like a good breakfast, I want to make sure that uh, I get – uh, clarity on this because a lot of people want a free breakfast, but you said you want a good breakfast. So does that mean that it's a free, good free breakfast or you just want a good breakfast even if you have to pay? Uh, I I would prefer a good breakfast that I have to pay some reasonable fee for than a free breakfast that is lousy. Uh, and Because I've been to a lot of hotels that you're like, Ah, it's a free breakfast, but it's basically like oatmeal from little bags and donuts from yesterday. And that that doesn't really do much for me. Yep. I had family in town. They stayed at uh, Homewood Suites. And if you've ever stayed at a Homewood Suites, you've stayed at all the Homewood Suites and they all have the exact same breakfast. And I, you know, went there, joined them for breakfast one day. And yeah, it was like a bagel from the supermarket in one of those bags and some, uh, you know, watered down orange juice. And, you know, not to knock Homewood Suites, the hotel was fantastic otherwise but that's kind of what you can expect when it's free you get what you pay for sometimes uh, you sure do you sure do e- e- eggs that were made from a powder all, all those sorts of things and, you know. but you know i am personally not a breakfast person so as long as it's got coffee on tap and you know some kind of granola bar or something that i can grab and snack on that's perfectly fine for me so sure if you're not a breakfast person maybe it's not a big deal sounds like you are so that's something you look for i i sure am so in washington dc we have over 100 hotels in the city We have hundreds of hotels, if you include the suburbs as well. And so a lot of people, they start doing their research and they get to the list on TripAdvisor and it says, you're looking at hotel one out of 100 and whatever. And they think, oh, my God, how am I going to go through all of these? So what's your strategy for looking at the big giant list and starting to to narrow down the ones that you want to focus in on? Great. And and I'll say actually before I just drive before I dive straight into TripAdvisor, uh, I actually start with Google Maps because I find if I start with TripAdvisor, I've just got this list that's that's ordered but they're not particularly meaningful at that point in time because it's numbered and you're like I don't know where these hotels are. Um so I generally start with Google Maps kind of around the area of where I think I might want to be or where there's a lot of things I want to do. And then I'll, I will on Google maps, I will search for hotels. Uh, and then I'll start to kind of look at prices and I'll start to look at pictures. And then I start to kind of look at the star ratings that are rated on Google um, to kind of make a little bit of a, of a short list to then narrow into TripAdvisor. And then I'll kind of go in the TripAdvisor and say, Hey, that list of 
five or 10 that I found that look like in a good area that don't look too sleazy. Now, where, where did those rank on TripAdvisor? I don't, TripAdvisor sometimes can be really weird where like you can look and you say like, you know, the number one hotel in this city is the Hampton Inn or the Homewood Suites. And then you're like, and the number two is the Four Seasons. And you're like, I don't, I don't know. How, how did Hampton Inn get number one and Four Seasons get number two, right? got some bones to pick with TripAdvisor. They have been doing some questionable things lately, especially when it comes to those rankings and how they order things. So a lot of people don't know that Google, they have actually kind of made it a point lately to put companies like TripAdvisor, I don't want to say to put them out of business, but to really give them a run for their money. And when you go on Google Maps and you just type in the word hotel, it's not just going to pull up a bunch of pins, but it's going to tell you the price. On the, it's going to ask you what dates you want to stay. It's going to tell you the prices. It's going to tell you the stars. It's going to show you ratings. It's really doing doing everything that TripAdvisor used to do. Yeah, and and so that so that basic stuff like star ratings, location, basic pictures and dollar value, I get that from Google. And then and then I go to TripAdvisor to like dive deeper into the actual reviews that I talked about earlier by searching for things, but I also right I go to YouTube and I search and say like, "Hey, has anybody done a video review of this hotel?" Obviously because one of the things I do is I do video reviews of hotels. Uh, and then the last the last place that I go to is I go to um, Flyer Talk. Flyer Talk is a frequent flyer uh, like message board, and they've got different forums for Hilton, Hyatt, this and that. And people leave like super detailed reviews of hotels there. And I find that as an affinity group, as someone who travels a lot, I really like to read the reviews from people who travel a lot, as opposed to the people who have only stayed in like one hotel once in the last ten years, because they might be more impressed. Where the person who's like, I've been in a hundred Marriotts. I'm like, okay, I want to know what you think. Yeah, I actually do almost the exact same thing. I don't do flyer talk. That's a little more advanced than my level of travel. But I go on YouTube and I will type in the exact name of the hotel. That's actually one of the first videos I found on Yellow Productions was I found you, Chris, doing a review of a Las Vegas hotel that I was considering staying in. And I thought... This is this is genius because uh, I get to see the inside of the room. I get to have a host showing me around, showing me all the rooms, showing me what the TV looks like, what the bed looks like, what the bathroom looks like. And so that's something that you have kind of made part of your Yellow Productions brand is doing these hotel reviews. And so I know you've done, I think, over 100 at this point, which is an incredible number. And you, you rate them on what you call uh, the Topher scale. So can you explain a little bit about who Topher is and why he gets his own hotel rating scale? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, Topher is my traveling panda who travels along with me. and uh, Stuffed panda, not a live panda. That's right. He's a stuffed panda. He's about five inches tall. And uh, so I'm Chris. He's Topher. You put Chris and Topher together and you get Chris Topher, right? So that's where Topher got his name as the second half of my name. And uh, a lot of my videos, actually most of my videos, I, I typically travel with my wife and she likes to be behind the camera. And so her embodiment in front of the camera is Topher the Traveling Panda. Uh, so whenever we do a hotel rating, we rate it not based on stars because everybody does stars and Topher travels with us all the time. And so we always ask Topher, we say, Topher, how many Tophers should this hotel get? And then Topher, our small traveling stuffed panda says, well, you know, it's three Tophers or four Tophers. And then we go into, uh, right, in, into why at that point. Yeah, so I think uh, you're a pretty tough critic. I think the DC hotel videos I watched, you typically will give the hotel a 
three or a three and a half, maybe a four Topher. And so what does it take for a hotel to get all the way up to five on your Topher scale? Yeah, yeah. So I've given very few five Topher ratings, and uh, I've actually only given two. The one's the Tokyo Station Hotel, which is in Tokyo, and then two is the Andaz Hotel in Maui, which is my favorite hotel uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, but, you know, what I take into account to get five Tophers in addition to my earlier criteria, I also look at uh, the hotel price. Is it a reasonable price? The additional amenities, things like the swimming pool, the grounds, uh, and finally the service. And I find for me where most hotels end up falling flat of the five Topher rating is in the service that they provide. Uh, you know, right? Not not going above and beyond, not being amazing, but just you know, kind of being there, kind of mailing it in. I know one thing that you mentioned in your reviews is you'll typically say, here's the price that I paid, and here's the price that this hotel might typically go for. And a lot of people will leave you comments on those videos and say, oh, what a ripoff. I can't believe it's so expensive. And so, uh, you know, the thing is that hotels are priced for demand. And so that's why I like that you say, here's what I paid and here's what you might expect to pay on maybe an average day. Right. And it's, it's actually, it's actually something where, uh, for a long time, I decide, I, like, I, my perspective was, I am not going to say the price because, um, it's like it changes, right? It's just price always changes. And then people would leave comments to be like, well, how much is it? And I'd be like, well, it sort of depends. And I'm like, look, people really want to know that. They want to know how much I paid. But then to that point, I'm like, if I, if all I say is how much I paid, um, then it's not accurate because I could have been there in February on a slow day. But right, if I'm there when it's busy, it, it could be four times the price. So, but I, I think, you know, cause I, cause I travel a lot and I pick a hotel, I decide whether to stay there almost based upon those sorts of things. And to say, when I'm going, am I actually getting a good deal on it? Um, cause I, I want to stay in that place that costs a lot of money that I can only get for, you know, 150 bucks instead of $700. Uh, in Washington D.C., we have it's a very seasonal city, but it's it's not just seasonal in terms of tourism. A lot of people think that tourists drive the hotel prices up and down here. It's really the business travelers. It's folks like you on a business trip coming in for a conference who really cause those prices to to fluctuate. So, the week of Thanksgiving, people find this surprising sometimes when I tell them this. The week of Thanksgiving is the absolute cheapest time of the year to stay in Washington, D.C. in a hotel because there is not a single business traveler anywhere near the city because they're all on vacation. They're all on their holiday. So a hotel like the Ritz-Carlton, you know, you might never expect to get a good deal there, but you come during a time like that, you might actually find one. Yeah, completely. And it's funny because we were talking about Las Vegas that you mentioned earlier. And it's actually the same way in Las Vegas where people are like, oh, Las Vegas must be driven by all the tourists that go there. And actually, Las Vegas is a huge business city. And so the week of Thanksgiving is also like the cheapest time to go to Las Vegas, too. Yeah, I actually learned that many years ago. So whenever I try to go to Las Vegas, which is not that often, but I always try to do it at the end of a holiday. So for example, I want to I want to arrive on Memorial Day because that's the time when all the people who came in for the long weekend are leaving, but it's also a week that's not going to have any conventions or conferences because it's got a holiday in there and nobody's going to schedule their conference for a holiday week. Completely. So Chris, what was the best deal that you have ever gotten in a hotel in Washington DC? The best deal I've ever gotten is uh, at the Park High, Washington D.C. I was in I was in D.C. in January, which is a, a cold season, and, and so not many people were there. Uh, and so I was able to get their uh, executive suite, 
which uh, can often go for like $700 or $1,000 for $150. Uh, and the Park Hyatt DC, just like the basic rooms on busy dates, can go for $500. Uh, and it's it's the kind of hotel when like, at least when I'm there or when any of your listeners would stay there, it's just like, it's kind of an amazing place because like they take that service to like the next level and you really feel pampered and special for staying there. And extra special if you're staying in a pampered place for like 150 bucks. Uh, no doubt about that. I have never stayed at the Park Hyatt or any Park Hyatt for that matter, but I did go to a conference at the Washington, D.C. Park Hyatt once. And the moment I stepped in there, I felt like, huh, this place is too fancy for me. I don't belong here. <laughs> so I can only imagine staying there for a few nights. It would definitely feel like the kind of place where you would get pampered. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nice. It's, it's, the, it's the kind of place like, you know, you check into your room and they're like, just tell us anything that you need. And you'd be like, can I get some bottled water? Yeah, we'll bring some to your room. No problem. Can I get some tea? Yeah, we'll bring a tea kettle. What kind of tea do you want? We'll bring that too. And they and they don't actually nickel and dime you for it, which is pretty nice too. That's good because that's one of the quirks that I wanted to ask you about is the whole nickel and diming. Uh, one thing that's, that's kind of uh, catches people by surprise is that a lot of times the cheapest hotels will be the ones to give you the most freebies. And the most expensive hotels will be the ones that charge you for everything, including the bottled water, the Wi-Fi, everything. And, and so the Park Hyatt's probably like a, like an anomaly in that perspective. Uh, and that, yes, many, many of the higher end hotels in D.C. will charge you for everything. And, and I will say one of the things that I, I just have an aversion to, and it's been it's been starting in D.C., so your listeners should uh, be aware of this, are hotels that charge resort fees or destination fees that are like these sneaky fees that are like 20, 30, $40 in addition to the room rates. I actually, I stayed at the Grand Hyatt, uh, Washington DC, and I was going to give it three and a half tofers, but then they, uh, I realized they had a destination fee of like $30 or something like that in addition to the room rate. And I'm like, okay, you get, you get half a tofer off. Cause I just don't like the sneaky hotel price, uh, perspective. You know, just, just tell me how much it's going to cost. Well, you will be happy to know, Chris, that the Attorney General of the District of Columbia has filed suit against Marriott for these resort fees. So if he is successful, perhaps they will be required to remove them, at least here, perhaps elsewhere. I'm not sure why he sued only Marriott, not the other hotel chains, because Marriott's not the only one who's doing them. But you're right, they are starting to do them, and it is a bit frustrating. So I know that um, one thing that people sometimes ask me about is whether a hotel has a pool and... This is an interesting one to me because I'm not a pool guy and a pool is not something that I ever look for in a hotel. So is that something that you ever look for? And uh, do you think that downtown hotels typically even have pools? Yeah. So uh, sometimes when I stay at hotels, I look for swimming pools. But uh, in D.C., I have not found a hotel in the district that has a good swimming pool, really. Uh, like if you're out in Virginia or Maryland, you'll, they've got more land. And so you'll find better pools there. But even that being said, cause, cause the DC area is just, I mean, like, like it, like there's a serious winter, you know, pools I find aren't something that are really prioritized in DC area hotels. Yeah. So if you're looking for something at a hotel, like a pool, in Orlando or Las Vegas, you're definitely not going to find that here. One trend that has started, and it's not just hotels, but it's also apartment buildings and, and other places, is putting the pool on the roof. And these pools tend to be more of the uh, 
adult-friendly pools. By that, I mean, you know, they serve cocktails and people are drinking by the pool. So a lot of people ask me about pools because they have kids and they want to take the kids to the pool. But a rooftop pool is not necessarily kid-friendly. Sometimes it might only be during the afternoon and then in, in the evening. They, they don't even let kids there at all. That's true. I do, And I do find, yeah, a lot of those pools, yeah, they close early. Or some hotels in D.C., like the – like actually the Park Hyatt Washington, D.C., it has a pool – uh, but the pool is like it's entirely indoors so that you could use it in the winter. But in that case, when the pool is entirely indoors, I, I find those things to just be like like it's a way too chlorinated space. You know, you're like in there and you're like, I'm about to die from the chemicals, um, which is not not the relaxing experience I think most people are thinking of. Yeah. When I think of an indoor pool, I think of uh, going swimming at the Y. You know, when you're a kid and you go for swimming lessons at the Y. So not exactly what I think of when I think of luxury vacation or anything like that. No. So you gave some tips for navigating TripAdvisor, reading the reviews, doing the searches for things like clean and walls. And one thing that I always do, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this, is I always look at the traveler submitted photos, the photos that actual people post on those websites. No, that that's a that's a great perspective. And and that that's actually before I start reading the reviews, I look at the photos as well. And I do always click into the traveler photos because uh, those are the ones where you're like, what what does the room really look like? You know, are there are there stains on the wall? And and I think that it's also worthwhile, like reading the reviews to 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 realize to take some of them with a grain of salt, because sometimes people just have like a weird axe to grind. Um you know, and if you see like a couple one star reviews, that might not be as bad. But like if you see like a trend and people describe it well, then you're like, OK, well, this 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 hotel might not be for me. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I often look for when I'm traveling is whether the people who left bad reviews complain about the price of parking, because in many cities, including Washington, D.C., to leave your car parked at the hotel with the valet will cost you fifty dollars or more. And if you don't like it, you can find another parking lot and park yourself. But, you know, it's, that's just what it is. And so if I don't have a car, if I'm traveling and I'm not bringing a car, that literally does not impact my stay at all. So I kind of just ignore those and, and move on. So I want to move into the part that I think a lot of people tuned into here, which is where we talk about how to get the deals, because everybody wants a good deal when they're traveling. So, Chris, what's your approach for looking for deals and how do you uh, find the best ones? Yeah. Uh, so generally looking for deals, I mean, as, as I mentioned earlier, I just write a, a general start is looking on Google Maps and, and looking at the hotel prices. Uh, and you can sort of see there, like, is it a low price? Is it a high price? Um, but I also think it's important not just to look for the prices on the like hotel aggregation websites. Um, but if it's a Hilton, a Marriott, a Hyatt, a Best Western, like to sign up for their reward accounts and actually like search the prices on their website. If you're like a AAA member or you have some other affiliation, there can be like coupon codes you can do for that or you can find like promotions on the hotel websites. Those are those are often things that I I look for when I look for deals. Yeah, I think that something that a lot of people don't know, the general public doesn't know, is that those hotel aggregator websites charge really high commissions to uh, companies who use them. So uh, in my part of the business, in the tours side of it, uh, TripAdvisor is now up to like 25%. Wow. So if you, yeah, if you buy a ticket for 
uh, $40, they're taking 10 and I'm only getting 30 And so that that's a big chunk. So for a hotel, you can imagine, probably not that high for hotels because they're bigger companies and have more bargaining power. But even if they're taking 10%, uh, it's cheaper for the hotel to give you a 5% discount than it is for them to sell it to you at full price on one of those websites and pay those guys 10%. So I think you're almost always going to find the cheapest rate just right on the hotel's own website and definitely when you're logged into your reward account. Yeah, I agree. And and I think actually my, my best tip for like good deals in D.C. is uh, – so you mentioned the time of year, right, to go slow season. But, but my tip to find cheap hotels – is to go on the weekend. So, you know, arrive Friday night, stay there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, check out Monday. Those are generally the times when the hotels are the cheapest because all the business travelers are gone. And so there's a lot of extra availability. Yeah, you nailed it. And I think that's something that can be hard for people to wrap their heads around because they say, but what about the weekend tourists? What about the weekenders? And yeah, they're here, but the business travelers are gone. So you're still going to have lower demand than you might during the week. Right. Now, are you a member of AAA or any of those clubs that get you special discounts? Yeah, I am a member of AAA, uh, and I do find that to be pretty valuable. And I always, like, if I go on a hotel website, I always check the regular price box. Then I'll always check the AAA box and see what that looks like. Um, you know, if you if you want to get, like, super advanced and you're someone who, like, you know, is like a, like a coupon clipper person that likes to spend a lot of time looking for things, like, you can go online and search for things like, oh, Marriott coupon codes, Hilton coupon codes, and uh, then you can find things that, that might even get you better better promotions, though sometimes that can be a huge time suck too. So it j- just, just depends how, how uh, much you want that uh, good deal. I, a shortcut to that is something that I do is uh, on the hotel website, a lot of times there'll be a page that's just called deals or promotions or specials, and I just click on that, and sometimes they'll have them right there. It'll be like, you know, stay three, get one free or something like that. There could be some really good promotions on there that people often overlook because they think they're not going to publish those right on the website, but they do. Yeah, they do. And if and if you didn't go there, you you actually wouldn't you wouldn't find it via the generic like look for the hotel and look for the price. You you have to go to that spot that says promotions or deals because uh, then on the hotel website when it does the search, it generally does it with that special coupon code that's attached to that promotion. Yeah. So I want to ask you about a travel hack, a trip hack, I suppose. Some people have been asking me about lately. And I think it's funny because this is like the uh, newer, younger generation of travelers. They've been asking me about this amazing trip hack called the Hotwire Mystery Rates. And I think it's I think it's funny that people are discovering this now because <laughs> this has been around forever. I've been I was doing these like 12 years ago when I was traveling. I was naming my own price on Priceline, yeah. if you can remember that. And sure, sure. doing these hot wire deals where you don't get to know the hotel that you're staying at. And I don't do them anymore for reasons that uh, I won't explain in this episode, but I want to know if you ever do them. Yeah, no, no, I never do them. Uh, and, I, and I never do them because I don't, I don't want to stay at a place that I don't know where I'm staying. Uh, for, for all of those reasons that we talked about earlier, uh, to say like, I want to stay in a hotel that has a good location, that's quiet, that blah, blah, blah. And those sorts of things, like the name your price, this and that, like, if you're the kind of person you being the people who are listening right now, right? If you know, if if you're the kind of person who uh, doesn't really care what the hotel is and all you care is that it's a bed somewhere, then then go for it. Like that's totally for you. Um, but I'll, I'll also say I also don't do Airbnb either, um, and that's something where a lot of people ask and say, "Oh, Chris, you know, like Airbnbs get like much better rates, much better deals." Um, but I've had a lot of horror stories from friends that have done Airbnb and end up in places that 
don't exist. They couldn't get into, they were locked. And then if there's something wrong with an Airbnb, like the hot water doesn't work or something's broken, there's not just like a front desk you can generally go down to and ask for a different room. You're generally stuck with those broken things for a long time. Yeah, I did an episode on Airbnb on the podcast called Airbnb, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and you just summarized the whole episode in 60 seconds. So you you know what's going on for sure. But for anyone who's listening who wants the full shebang, you can listen to that episode and get The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, but this does lead to another uh, related question, which is even if you book directly with the hotel, you get the choice, pay the full amount now for a small discount or pay when you arrive for no discount. So what's your preference on that? I will rarely prepay. Uh, I 95% of the time book the refundable rate. Um, unless I'm booking like two days out and I know for sure that I'm going. Uh, and the reason why is plans change. Things change. Yeah. In the world today, you might've said, uh, you know, well, Hey, there's, you know, like, right. Coronavirus going around or these sorts of things. And you say, well, I, Maybe I don't want to go, or maybe I didn't want to go when that was going around. And if you had a refundable rate, you, you can generally cancel up to like three days before. But more importantly than that, you can you can change and rebook your rate. And I think that um, a lot of people don't think about doing this or don't realize that they can do this. But if you have a refundable rate, I always suggest whatever the cancellation time is, like if that's two days or three days on that day, go back to the hotel website and recheck the rate. Uh, and I've saved hundreds of dollars a night on hotel rates just by like checking it a couple days before when the hotels realize that nobody's staying. And so they drop the rates exorbitantly to try to fill the rooms in the last couple nights. Yeah, that is the perhaps the best trip hack I think that we, comes out of this entire episode is to book the refundable rates and recheck it. And I've done the exact same thing. I've saved a good chunk of money over the years because – when the rate drops, say you originally booked it for 200 and then you know before your trip you recheck, hey, it's dropped down to 150 No problem. Cancel my one at 200 make a new one at 150 and you're good to go. Uh, nothing lost. Whereas if you had taken the discount and booked it for 180 well, you're locked in. And now that it's lower, you're stuck. So you wound up with a worse deal and no flexibility. That's right. And nothing stops you from booking the refundable rate at the beginning. And if the non-refundable prepaid rate is cheaper two days before, then you can totally switch and just do that. Because at that point, you're like, for sure, I'm going. It's just two days from here. Yeah, I think what you said at the very beginning is really important, which is that li sometimes life just happens. And I don't think anyone books a trip with the intent of canceling, especially when it's, you know, a few months out or even a few weeks out. No one's booking this thinking, well, maybe I'll cancel, maybe I won't. Most people are like, I'm going to go. But if something happens in your life, you know, family situation, some kind of emergency, you just might have to cancel it. And so I like the refundable rates for that reason, too. And one other thing I'll mention that goes back to the AAA point is that a lot of times if you do have AAA, that refundable rate is the same as the – or. Yeah, the AAA refundable rate is the same as the prepaid full rate anyway. So there's really no reason to do it if you have that option. I, I will say I think it's also important for people if they are booking the refundable rates to check and see what that deadline is because I, I've been finding more hotels having much more like draconian timelines to be like it's not three days for refundable, but it's like 30 days for refundable. Uh, and, and so those are actually things where I'm like, oh, we'll pay really attention to what that deadline is on the hotel you're staying at because they're not all the same. 
Yeah, I agree. I am getting pretty religious about checking that because it, it used to be 48 hours and then the you know, industry standard went up to 72 hours and now it's like sometimes it's seven days or four days. It's just all over the board. So I always am pretty religious about checking exactly what it is so I know. It's a good religion. <laughs> so uh, I want to ask you about hotel reward programs. And I know that you travel a lot, so you surely have a favorite or favorites, plural. But a lot of people who don't travel a lot, they'll tell me, oh, you know what, Rob? I don't care about those. I don't even bother signing up because I'm never going to stay enough nights to even earn a reward, to earn a free night. So why should I even care? But I think that they should still care because, like you said earlier, when you log into your reward account, you are often shown the best rates. So even if for no other reason, just to be able to log into the account and see the rates, uh, that's a reason to do it. But why don't you tell uh, everyone what your favorite program is and you know what your tier status is? Yeah, that, that sounds good. And, I, and I'll just say one more thing about why you'd want to be a member versus not. And, and there's actually like h- hotels, they will give you better rooms just because you're a member of the program. If, you know, all things being equal, if half the people in the hotel are program members and half the people aren't, well, those half the people that aren't, they get the worst rooms and the half the people that are, even if they've only stayed one night at a, in that hotel, uh, will get a better room. Uh, but my favorite, uh, and I, I gotta have two answers to this. And so first I'll say the one that I use the most is Marriott. Um, I've spent over a thousand nights at Marriott. So there's lifetime wow. nights, not... Yeah, obviously not this year because there aren't a thousand nights in a year. Uh, and so that, that gives me their lifetime titanium status, which in order to get that, you have to have stayed uh, 75 nights a year for over 10 years with Marriott. Uh, so I stay at Marriott's more than any other hotel, uh, but my favorite program is actually Hyatt. Uh, and I like I like the Hyatt program because I find that it has the best um, value. There's like, there's sort of two things to get two reasons why you want to be a member of a hotel rewards program. One, the perks that you get for having different status levels, meaning the more you stay there, then the better rooms you get, the lounge access you get upgrades, this sort of stuff. Uh, then the second reason is to be able to redeem points that you earn for spend at the hotels for like free rooms later. Um, I find Hyatt to be the most rewarding program for free rooms. And I also find Hyatt to have the best perks. Like if you're the highest elite member with Hyatt, like their lounges are some of the best, their breakfasts are some of the best, um, right? Staying in the park Hyatt, New York city. Uh, I remember the free breakfast benefit that I got like included, uh, like lobster scrambled eggs. You know, that was like, yeah, all right. That's, that's pretty good. And at the park Hyatt Washington DC, uh, the breakfast benefit for being a, like a globalist member with Hyatt was they're like, you can order anything on the menu for breakfast, anything you want, which if for that was like crab cakes and bone marrow and like fresh squeezed orange juice that they squeeze at the table. So, uh, but so you'd say, oh, Chris, now if Hyatt's your favorite, why don't you spend all those nights at Hyatt? Well, cause Hyatt doesn't have as many hotels as Marriott. Like Hyatt only has a few hundred hotels where Marriott has thousands of hotels. Um, and so it's much easier to stay at Marriott's and focus on that for loyalty than it is Hyatt's. Yeah. But in Washington DC, there are a lot of Hyatt's. So if that is your preferred program, then you do have a good number of choices when you come to Washington DC. But if you're a traveler who goes all over the country and all over the world for that matter, you're definitely going to find a lot more Marriott's around the 
the the world than you are Hyatt's. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Hyatt Hyatt has like right their best locations and they focus on locations in big business cities um, where, you know, Marriott and Hilton and some of these things have a lot more of the, you know, you're driving across the interna- interstate 40 and you got to stay on the road in Kansas. Well, there's going to be a Homewood Suites and a residence in there. So, yeah. And all these brands uh, or these big hotel companies, Hyatt, Hilton and Marriott, I think are the big three. They all have a bunch of different brands. And so regardless of whether you want to go top tier Ritz Carlton or you want to go residence in or anything in between in Washington, D.C., you're pretty much going to have your choice anywhere on that spectrum. Yeah, yeah there sure is. The, 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 the choice in D.C. is pretty impressive. So, Chris, I we've, we're getting close to uh, the end of our conversation, but I want to make sure that I ask you the most important question which is of all your travels to Washington, D.C., and of all the hotels that you've gotten a chance to stay in here, which one is your favorite and why? Or if you need to pick two or three, you can do that too. So we already talked about the Park Hyatt, Washington, D.C., that I I like if the price is right. Uh, But my favorite hotel in Washington, D.C. is the Mayflower Hotel. Ah, interesting choice. Yeah, so the Mayflower Hotel... Uh, it's a really historic hotel. It is affiliated with Marriott at this point. And it's actually got like, it's got like two different halves. If you look on the Marriott website, like it actually gets listed twice. Uh, but I love the Mayflower because it's this super old historic building. Presidents have stayed there. I think, you know, there's some history of some senator or something that stayed there and did something. But separate from that, it has a really great location in DuPont Circle, which is a really neat kind of more residential area of D.C., uh, that has a lot of cool restaurants around it. Uh, and the Mayflower has some uh, kind of neat restaurants and particularly an amazing lounge in there that actually has real silverware. Like the knives and forks are actually made out of silver. And it, and it kind of gives me this like this feeling of like, this is like the great history of Washington, D.C. and just, just to be in this place. Uh, and of course, the Mayflower meets almost all those things that I talked about earlier about the rooms are quiet, the air conditioning's good because it's this old brick building. Uh, the, uh, the valet parking's lousy. So if I have a car, uh, then, then I won't be staying there. Uh, Is that what so, kept him from getting five tofers? It, it, that, uh, that and, and their service is not as good as the Park Hyatt Washington DC is. Um, yeah. So those are, those are the two things which kept them from getting five tofers, but particularly their valet service that they park in a parking garage that is some amount of blocks away from the hotel. So my, so my go-to hotel, though, so I just told you my favorite, and I'm going to tell you the one that I stay in more than any others. Uh, the one I stay in more than any others is the Marriott Crystal Gateway, uh, and this one's actually in Arlington, in Crystal City. Uh, I like the hotel because it's just like a hop, skip, and a jump away from uh, Reagan National Airport. You can take the subway there. It's like one or two stops away. Um, if you have a rental car, it has a really big parking garage and the rooms at the Marriott Crystal Gateway are, uh, as far as rooms go, are like bigger than most rooms, which ends up making them quiet. And it's also the Marriott Crystal Gateway is connected in Crystal City to this whole network of like underground tunnels. So you can get to the subway without going outside. You can get to a drugstore without going outside. Uh, and then it just makes it easy to come in and out if you're flying in through Reagan Airport. Yeah, if you're using the airport, it's extremely convenient. Uh, like you said, if you're coming into the city and it's uh, one of those brutally hot, humid July days, you can go from your room uh, into the metro and you don't even have to go outside. So 
a lot of people really like it for that. And then it's only three stops and you're at the LaFont Plaza station. Uh, but it's worth noting that I don't want people to get confused. There's actually two Marriott hotels in Crystal City right across the street from each other. Uh, the Marriott Crystal Gateway is the one that you like. I think that's the bigger of the two. And then there's one across the street. I think it's called the Marriott Reagan National Airport or something like that. It, it, is the, it is the Marriott Crystal City, and this one is the Marriott Crystal Gateway. So, oh, okay. And you've stayed at both, so you uh, prefer this one, I suppose. I have stayed at both. The Marriott Crystal City is okay. It's I would call it like a standard business hotel, uh, but the Marriott Crystal Gateway is just much more grand. It has a big grand lobby. It has a big indoor swimming pool. It's just it's a place that you go in and you feel like ah, this this is this is a hotel as opposed to you know. I go in and there's a little tiny lobby and a little check-in desk and, you know, go to your elevator and just squirrel away into your, you know, small tiny room. And I will also say that you have a video on the Yellow Productions YouTube channel. Uh, I think this might be eight or so years old uh, of you reviewing the Marriott Crystal Gateway. So I don't know how much things have changed over the years, but that's a, a Yellow Productions classic that I would recommend people go check out if they want uh, vintage Yellow Productions. Yes, I sure do. The uh, The basic bones of the Marriott Crystal Gateway are pretty similar to that video. I've also got a review of the uh, Park High at Washington, D.C. as well, if you want to see that. I have seen that one, and I will recommend that other people go and watch that and get jealous, uh, just like I have since. I'll probably never stay there. Um, but, Chris, I want to say thank you so much for coming onto the Trip Hacks D.C. podcast, talking with me all about Washington, D.C. hotels, and sharing all of your fantastic knowledge on this topic something that I don't have because I live here and I don't stay in hotels here. Yeah, Rob, it's, it's really been my pleasure uh, to uh, chat with you and uh, share with your audience as well. Okay, this is 2021 Rob back with a prologue to this episode. When COVID hit last March, hotels were considered essential businesses and some of them never closed. However, some did, which meant that even though demand dropped significantly, the supply of rooms dropped as well. So room rates never got super cheap like I think some people thought they might. Now that said, one of the most important things going forward is that I suspect tourism is going to recover a lot more quickly than business travel. So a lot of our discussion around planning around business travel might not matter in 2021 very much, but it could in 2022 and beyond. The other big change since we recorded is the hotel experience itself. In the conversation, we talked a bit about restaurants and lounges and breakfasts, and all of those are basically closed down or capacity restricted right now. Hotels are not exactly booming, and many have cut back on their staff, which means rooms aren't being cleaned on a daily basis. And this is both because of short staffing and for safety reasons, since it's safer to send in the cleaners only when rooms are completely vacant. And some of the amenities we talked about, like rooftop pools and gyms, are open but capacity restricted. So for the first time in possibly ever, you need to make a reservation to do just about anything, even things that you used to just be able to walk up and do. But overall, I think a lot of Chris's advice is spot on, even today. So let's jump back to 2020 Rob and Chris to wrap up. I've mentioned Yellow Productions several times now. That's the name of your YouTube channel. Is that the best place for folks to go and find you and keep up with your travels? Yeah, it sure is. Just uh, head over to YouTube and search for Yellow Productions, and uh, you'll find a channel full of fun, informative, and entertaining travel videos hosted by uh, a pretty silly human being known as Chris and his even sillier traveling panda known as Topher. Topher. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.